Hello, I'm Monsignor Matthew Midas, pastor of St. Angela Marisi Parish in Florissant, Missouri. Today we're going to talk about the two sacraments of healing, both spiritual healing and actually physical healing. The sacrament of the anointing of the sick and also the sacrament of, well, it's been called confession, penance, and reconciliation. These are the sacraments that preserve Jesus' healing power, the power to heal the soul and the body. Let's talk about them. Many years ago, back in the early 80s, um, I was a young priest, that was many years ago, and uh, every so often the priests of a particular area called a deanery, every diocese is divided into 10 different deaneries, and all the priests of that area, the deanery, get together, talk shop and different things, and they usually have some kind of a speaker. Well, I was at a parish in South St. Louis County, and the speaker, featured speaker at this meeting of priests, and there was 40 or 50 priests there, was a man named Dr. David Ohms. Now, Dr. Ohms was the director of Highland Center, which is the chemical and drug abuse treatment facility connected with St. Anthony's Hospital in South St. Louis. And uh, Dr. Ohms, I had heard him many times on the radio, um, very good, prominent man, very good at what he did. He was the director of the facility, and he was himself a Catholic and a clinical psychologist and a recovering alcoholic. And so he comes to talk to us priests about what he did at Highland Center, but something, he went a little bit deeper, and I really appreciate this. He started out by saying to us, and he's, again, he's talking to 40 or 50 priests, he says, I really envy you guys. That got my interest. And so he says, the reason I envy you is because I'm a clinical psychologist and people come to me because they've got all kinds of problems. They can't sleep, they can't eat, they've got emotional distress, uh, they're depressed, they're all kinds of things. And uh, the reason why they come to me is because they're looking for relief. And so they'll sit on my couch and they'll pay me $75 a half hour essentially just to listen to their confession. Now at this point I'm doing the math and I'm thinking, he gets 150 bucks an hour to hear confessions? At that point I'm starting to envy him. But he went on to say, what these people really need is a fresh start in life, a chance to start over again, that all the mistakes of the past are taken away and you could begin your life brand new, as innocent as the day you were born, they come to me and they tell me all their sins, but I cannot give them what they truly, really need. And that is somebody who has the power to say to them, your sins are forgiven, to tell them, your sins are forgiven. And that's exactly what you priests, again, he's talking to us, have the power to do. And you give it away for free. And I go thinking, well, that's really interesting. And it's true, you put it in that perspective. Yeah, that's exactly what Christ has given to his church. The question comes up, does the priest really have the power to take away somebody's sins? Let's, let's talk about this, let's unpack this. You know, we have all kinds of stories in the gospel of Jesus healing people, the sick, the blind, the lame, the halt, the deaf, you know. Um, and we have all kinds of stories of individual healings, like the man born blind, etc., etc. We don't have any stories, specific stories anyway, of Jesus not healing somebody. We have the episode where he goes back to Nazareth, his hometown, and because of their lack of faith, he can perform very few miracles there. But we don't have any stories of where somebody actually comes up to Jesus and says, I want to be healed, and Jesus says, sorry, no dice, no, no healing for you. 
No, we don't have any stories like that. The closest we get is that one episode, and you'll remember this, I'm sure. Jesus was in St. Peter's house, and the crowd was so great that nobody could get around to the door. And so this one fellow, who apparently was a quadriplegic, he was on a litter, a stretcher, and four of his friends brought him to Jesus, but they couldn't get close to the front door because of the size of the crowd. So they climbed up on top of St. Peter's roof and started making a hole in the roof of St. Peter's house. I can just imagine St. Peter didn't respond to that too well. And they lowered this man down in front of Jesus. And Jesus, looking at them and seeing their faith, he says to the guy, now obviously he's a quadriplegic. They're thinking, well, give him the power to walk again and have control of his limbs. But Jesus looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. In other words, yes, the healing of his quadriplegia would be nice, but Jesus saw the man had a deeper problem. Perhaps, you know, his, his situation had made him angry at God, mad at God, maybe he felt separated from God, whatever. That the man needed a healing of a greater kind, the kind that Dr. Ohms talked about, you know, to, to be told, you, know, you have a fresh start again, you begin your life all over again. And so he told the man, your sins are forgiven. Now, this sent off a, set off a controversy. The people there, the Pharisees, the scribes, the theologians said, who does this man think he is? Only God can forgive sins, which, of course, is true. In other words, if you were to steal somebody's car, that person would have the power to forgive you because he's the victim. He's the guy whose car was stolen. But there's one person who is offended by every sin, and that is God himself. And so the guy whose car you stole may forgive you, but you're still not right with God. God alone has the power to forgive every sin. And here's this person, this man, Jesus, claiming to have that power. The question is, does Jesus have that power? Well, obviously, we believers say yes. He was God, and being God, he did have the power to forgive sins. But as a demonstration of his power, he said to those present, look, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? I mean, anybody can say your sins are forgiven and you would never know. The person wouldn't look any different. They wouldn't act any different necessarily. But this man was a quadriplegic. He had absolutely no use of his limbs below his neck. And so when Jesus said to this man, stand up, pick up your mat and walk, and he stood up, picked up his mat and walked, it's a pretty clear sign. Jesus does have the power to forgive people's sins. Well, only the unbelievers ever doubted that Jesus had the power to forgive sins. He being God, of course. And on Easter Sunday, when Jesus appeared to the apostles in the upper room, after saying, peace be with you, the very first thing he said to the apostles, the foundation stones of the church, in fact, this is all that we had of the Catholic Church at that moment, he says, whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven them. Whose sins you retain, they are retained. And so my brothers and sisters, we understand that Jesus Christ, who is God, who has the power to forgive sins, is now giving that same power to human beings, his apostles, the first bishops of the church. And that power wasn't just for the 12, it was for their successors who would come after them because the Lord established the church to exist in perpetuity. And so priests who are ordained in the Catholic Church have been given the power by God to take away people's sins. And what a wonderful gift it is. 
It's the ability to tell people, yes, you may have made a mess of your lives. Your conscience may be killing you, but you can start over again. My brothers and sisters, I always tell people that the number one reason why most people should become Catholic is the number one reason probably they don't. It's confession. I think it's one of the greatest things we have in the Catholic Church. It's a lot cheaper than therapy, and it will do you a lot more good uh, for, for awful lot of people. The whole understanding here is that the Lord Jesus gave us this power to be a continuation of baptism. We don't rebaptize people. Once you're baptized, all your sins are taken away. But sadly, people will commit sins after baptism, and because of that, they need to have a sacrament by which their sins committed after baptism, serious sins most of all, can be taken away. But the one thing that's always the sticking point, the reason why a lot of people are, are afraid of it, is because of the actually having to get down and admit your sins to another human being. An awful lot of people find that very difficult to do. Dr. David Ohms was talking about how people were so bent out of shape that they came to him and paid him money to hear their confession. But we have this in the church where people who commit serious sins can have their sins taken away. It's an interesting proposition. You know, with God, we have, he has many uh, qualities that he is like all-knowing, he's all-wise, he's all-present, he's all these, you know, all these things, these perfections of God, they're called. But he's all, he is all-just, and he is also all-merciful. Now, this is, you know, you can see, I hope you can see there's a problem here. Because God is all just, if you do the crime, you do the time. You messed up, you pay the punishment. There's a price you're going to pay, and God will cut you no slack because he is all just. However, at the same time, he is all merciful, meaning he will cut you all the slack you need. Now, <laughs> doesn't this seem like a contradiction? Well, yeah. It is a contradiction. But let's face it, God is full of contradictions. When he appeared to Moses, how was it? In the burning bush, a bush that was really on fire, but really not being consumed. He was born of a virgin. His mother was a virgin. She was a virgin all the way through, yet she was his mother. There's another contradiction. He is one, but he's also three. He is both God and man. So we're not surprised that there are contradictions here. And there's a lot of things here to meditate upon, I suppose. But what it comes down to in practical terms is this, that because God is 100% all-merciful, he will forgive any sin you've ever committed, no matter how bad, no matter how terrible, no matter how you th bad you think it was and there's no way out, God will forgive that sin. The great tragedy of Judas Iscariot isn't that, you know, the poor guy killed himself, is that he despaired. He thought there was no way back to God, that what he had done was so terrible. That was the despair. That was the great sin, the great tragedy, which is why a lot of people think that Judas is in hell. He's kind of the poster child for the sin of despair, which is one of the blasphemies of the Holy Spirit, the unforgivable sins. The point is that God is 100% merciful, and he will forgive any sin we've ever committed. But at the same time, he is 100% just. And so the justice of God demands that we come clean, that we admit our sins, that we tell him that we are sorry. In the end, it means bending your stiff neck, getting down on both knees in that box and saying, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. 
And I'll tell you, my brothers and sisters, uh, it's, the, it's the greatest feeling in the world. The most peaceful moment anybody will ever know is the moment of contrition. Because we waste so much energy, so much emotion, so much feeling, so much everything, trying to minimize our sins, rationalize our sins, in some cases even justifying our sins. But we can't get away from our consciences. We can't get away from the fact that we know that we have done wrong. And when finally you admit that, when you subject yourself and bend your stiff neck to the God Almighty, the one who has been offended by your sins, and he in all his power and that he's given to the church tells you, I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, that's what confession really is all about. It's the taking away of sins, giving us a brand new start again. Of course, you know, it's important that you confess all your sins. Why would you hold back? You can go behind a screen and be anonymous or talk to the priest face to face, really coming clean. Either way, it's the same thing. The church, the priest will ask you to do a penance to make up for your sins, because if you really are sorry, you'll want to make things right again. A lot of times you can't make things right, things that happened long ago to people who are now dead. But in the great body of Christ, the church, it's possible to make amends. It's possible to restore things that were lost through sin. So the priest will impose a penance upon you, asking you to do something to make things right again. And he will ask you to say the act of contrition because he can only forgive you if you really are sorry. Now, I guess you can assume that the reason why you come to the confessional is because you are sorry, but he needs to hear you say that formally. And so you say, I regret my sins because of the fires of hell, but most of all because they offend thee, my God, and I promise not to do them again. You don't need absolutely perfect contrition, but you do need a firm purpose of amendment, that what you've done is wrong, and you promise that you will try not to do it again. These are all things that are required, by, again, by the justice of God. But again, the whole idea is that God, who is merciful, wants to give us a way to, to find our way back to him. And that's what confession really is all about. And like I say, it's probably the best things we have in the Catholic Church. No, we don't charge for it yet, probably. I, I just wonder sometimes if we did charge 150 bucks an hour, whether more people would come because they think they get their money's worth. But no, Jesus said, what you have received as a gift, give as a gift. And so we're happy to provide this for souls in distress, that they may come back to God and find that kind of spiritual healing. Speaking of healing, the other sacrament uh, is the sacrament of, well, it's been called those people, people who are Catholics my age and older will remember when it was called extreme unction. Extrema in Latin means last, unctio, unction, means anointing. And that's pretty much how it was done. This came home to me in a very graphic way many years ago. I was still in the seminary. In fact, it was my first year in the major seminary at Kenrick here in St. Louis. This had to be around 1975. And they sent us off to the different Catholic hospitals for our chaplain training. We would go there dressed as a priest, even though we were just seminarians. And I remember I was sent to the old Deloge Hospital on South Grand, right across from St. Louis U Medical School. And we had a Jesuit who was the hospital chaplain. And every time we came, he would give us a list of rooms of people to see. And so the, first, the very first day, I got this list, and I went up to the 10th floor to see a guy. And he was an elderly gentleman. I forget his name, but I'll call him Mr. Johnson, just for you know, convenience sake. 
And I remember walking in and saying, Mr. Johnson, how are you? And he saw me wearing my collar, and the poor guy absolutely lost it. He completely freaked out. Uh, he was going into apoplexy, and I'm trying to reassure him and calm him down as best I can. But he wouldn't finally, you know, until I left the room. You know, I, was, oh, I never experienced this before. So I went down and talked to the chaplain. He said, oh, I forgot to warn you guys. Uh, a lot of these old-timers, when they see a guy wearing a Roman collar in the hospital, they figure the sweet chariot is swinging low and they've got their boarding pass. He thought you were there just to <laughs> send him on his way. <laughs> uh, okay, so I went back up and, you know, we, we, we smoothed it out. But for an awful lot of people, that's what extreme unction was. And it was. It was the last anointing, the last part of the last rites of the Catholic Church. But that's not the way it always had been. Uh, one of the great things of the Second Vatican Council was a restoration of the sacraments of what they were really intended to be. In the letter of St. James, it talks about, St. James says, Is there anybody sick among you? Let them send for the priests of the church. Let them pray over him, anoint him with oil. Uh, his sins will be forgiven and he'll get better. Well, the reason why he says this is because, I remember when I first talked about the sacraments, that the seven sacraments preserve for us on earth, now in the 21st century, everything that Jesus Christ was when he walked the earth. Jesus was many things, but first and foremost, he was a healer. You cannot open any page of the Gospels without a story of Jesus healing somebody. Even when they came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter sliced off that one guy's ear, Malchus, and there's Jesus gluing it back on. I mean, he was always healing somebody. And so that healing power of Christ is still in the church today. And we understand that when the sacrament of anointing is given, it is a healing. Uh, you talk to priests who've been around for a while, like myself, I've been a priest 41 years, they'll tell you stories of people that they anointed who actually got better. I mean, of serious, deadly cancers and different things. Now, the Vatican would never, you know, acknowledge these as miracles, but still in all, um, it's pretty impressive. And one thing I think most priests notice that, you know, it's, when people are dying and they do send for us for the last rites, one of them, of course, is the anointing of the sick, a lot of times they rally. They actually, you know, they, they eventually will die because they've got a lethal illness but they rally. They'll go on another couple, two, three weeks or a month or so. It does happen a lot more often than people realize. But the understanding, and really at the Council of Trent this first came up. Uh, not first came up, but it did come up at the Council of Trent because remember the Protestants had denied the seven sacraments. They denied their efficacy, even their existence, and especially the anointing of the sick. And they asked the question, well, if this really is the healing power of Christ, why aren't more people actually physically healed? And the answer comes back, well, if people had more faith, there would be more healings. And that's probably true. Uh, a lot of people, remember when Jesus healed people, he always tell them, it is your faith that has saved you. Now go in peace. And so if there was greater faith, we probably would see more healings. But we understand that even when a physical healing is not given, a spiritual one is. Uh, you know, it's, it's, and it just stands to reason. Because let's face it, I mean, all the people that Jesus miraculously healed back in the first century, even the people he summoned forth from the tomb, the people he raised from the dead, they're all dead now. And they've been dead for 20 centuries. Um, Jesus obviously didn't come here to make people live forever here on earth. 
This is not our real home. And Jesus, in fact, warned us, don't get too attached to it because it isn't your home. Your real home is someplace else. But the whole idea is that this healing power of Christ is given to us and um, it's not going to keep people going forever. But when we face the ultimate end of our lives here on earth, we have what we really need to prepare us. Because the truth is that the devil is very, very powerful in what he's able to accomplish and he's very evil in what he tries to accomplish. And what he's trying to accomplish is the destruction and loss of our souls. Remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert? Uh, when did the devil appear to Jesus? When at the very start of his fast? No. After 40 days, when he was weak in body. It's then the enemy attacks us most strong in, with all his strength. And in doing so, uh, he hopes to overcome. And even when a physical healing is not given, there is a spiritual healing. And let's face it, you know, a lot of times that's the more important thing. Because we will all die someday, we all face death, and in, in the best preparation we have for that is the anointing of the sick. Now I'm talking again like it's, it's, it's still extreme unction. One of the great blessings of the Vatican Council is that we use this, this sacrament much more liberally than what we used to. Again, we used to be, you had to be, literally have your boarding pass and you're about to check out. Now we understand that people face a lot of problems in life and um, chronic illnesses, uh, you know, somebody slowly dying of cancer, for example, or just the sickness, the, the, the problems of old age, arthritis and different, you know, pains and aches and things. And so, and people getting ready for surgery. And so in these kinds of situations, uh, the church anoints people, and rightly so. We don't do it for the common cold or, you know, people who are marginally um, distressed in some way. But the understanding is that this sacrament is for serious illnesses. It's not a, and what, what really bothers me is a lot of times people say, I want the blessing. Well, it's, it's a lot more than a blessing. It's a lot more than a blessing. Uh, blessings we give out all the time. That's no big deal. This is a sacrament. This is Jesus Christ himself, the healer, appearing to his people and imparting his healing power to them. It's a very powerful moment. Now, a lot of times people ask, what's the difference between the anointing of the sick and the last rites? Well, the last rites are three things. It's last confession, it's viaticum, which is the special name we give to the very last communion you receive. Your first communion is your first communion. Viaticum is your last communion. And of course, the anointing of the sick. Those three things make up the so-called last rites of the Catholic Church. Um, and the anointing of the sick is just one of them. And when we anoint people, it's not because we expect them to die within a couple of weeks or so. It's we expect them to face what the cross God gives them with great strength, with the ability to deal with it. Because Lucifer is, again, very powerful. And he's always trying to take advantage of every weakness, every gap in our armor, every, you know, um, shortcoming that we have, he tries to exploit. And it's a great healing for people to be able to know that they have been anointed. We use a very special oil to anoint the sick. You know, on Holy Thursday, uh, the bishop at the Chrism Mass uh, anoints three different, uh, pardon me, he blesses three different pots of oil, the Chrism, 
which is used for ordinations and confirmations and baptisms, uh, and for the blessing and consecration of churches, uh, the oil of the catechumens, which is used, again, in baptisms, and also the oil of the infirm, the oil of the sick. And uh, these are oils are given out to the different parishes. And the oil of the sick, it's all olive oil, but it's designated to have this power. Because oil is a natural sign. People use Vaseline petroleum jelly on a burn or on a sunburn or something, and it does impart healing because there's a natural healing power that oil has. And when you're anointed, the priest will anoint you on the forehead and on the hands. And if there is any special place that has been injured or wounded or whatever, uh, they, put, they can anoint you there too as well. But we understand, my brothers and sisters, that this great sacrament is given to us by Christ to preserve his healing power. Because as long as we have bodies, we will need that healing power. We will fall apart. We will experience pain and difficulties and suffering. And a lot of times the body drags the soul along with it. We're tempted to go into despair, tempted to go into all kinds of, you know, funks and, you know, depressions and different things that will lead us away from God. And so the anointing of the sick is there for us. And so, my brothers and sisters, um, we understand that it's, it's, not a, it's a lot more than just a blessing. It's not something that we hand out indiscriminately. You know, Jesus said, you don't cast your pearls before swine. You don't give what is holy to dogs. Strong words. But what he meant by that is we need to understand the power of these sacraments. And we, when we do hand them out, we do give them out as Jesus wanted us to, it's with the understanding it's for his purpose to create a situation in which his healing can take place. And that's exactly what the anointing of the sick is all about. And so we call those two sacraments, confession, reconciliation, penance, uh, and the anointing of the sick, the sacraments of healing. Again, in both cases, a spiritual healing is imparted, and it's a powerful one. And in most cases, it's more important than any kind of physical healing. But again, when your soul is at rest, when your soul is right with God, when you've done, you know, when you know that, that God has forgiven you, that you've come clean, it's amazing how the body is also in pretty good shape. Uh, again, healing. This is what Christ came for us to be. And he certainly is that in these holy and powerful sacraments. And I thank you for listening.